Well, some of you will know, maybe some of you have been traveling this summer, but we have been spending these, uh, the second half of our summer, at least, in the Psalms. Uh, we're in a series called God, Our Refuge, Finding and Delighting in the God Who Saves Us. And it's been our hope that as we spend some time in these early Psalms, some of the Psalms might be familiar to you, some might be uh, not familiar, uh, that they would become the commentary of our lives, that they would, these words would give us uh, words of, of our own to uh, offer in, in all sorts of different circumstances. They would captivate our imaginations, they would stir our faith, and they would ultimately point us to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 3. That's where David was on the run from his son Absalom. Absalom was uh, trying to garner an army uh, to overthrow him and ultimately to, um, to kill him. And uh, David is, uh, is uh, fleeing from him, and he made it through the night, and he realized that God had been protecting him and watching over him and orchestrating those events as David um, was able to make it through the night. So now this morning, we're in Psalm 4. David is not out of the woods uh, just yet, so to speak. His life is in danger. He's made it through one night, but conflict and anxiety and fear and enemies uh, have not ceased. They are still, uh, they have not faded. And therefore, David's heart is unsettled. His heart is unsettled. You can hear it in this psalm and in many of the psalms of David. His life at this point is still marked by chaos and uncertainty. And so Psalm 4 is part prayer to God, and then it's also uh, part conversation with others. So part conversation with Israel, friends, but also enemies of uh, David's. Uh, and it's a conversation with, um, with those whose hearts and lives are unsettled, which makes this psalm, Psalm 4, the perfect psalm for any time, but most definitely when your life is not going according to your plans. Now, I know that you are familiar with this uh, phenomenon. This is so much of life, where you've got the script for how you're hoping your life will turn out. You're putting in the right inputs, expecting the proper outputs. You've worked so hard to curate your life, to try to make the right decisions at every turn. You know what you want. You know what you desire. And you've done the best to carefully orchestrate your desired outcomes. And for whatever reason, for reasons that you might be aware of and for other reasons that you might not be aware of, your life or a season of your life or an aspect of your life is not going according to your plans. And that is the cause of an unsettled heart. And David is all too familiar with this. But David is God's anointed king, and as the one who is to lead Israel, he shows us how to move from an unsettled heart to a heart that finds peace and joy and comfort and refuge and contentment. That is Psalm 4, so we're going to jump in and take a look at it and see how it might uh, help us in our unsettled hearts as well. So Psalm 4, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You had given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, 
For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that this psalm would offer uh, a place of uh, refuge and hope uh, in the midst of our hearts, which are so oftentimes unsettled, filled with anxiety and fear and uh, the lack of contentment that um, we so long for. So God, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to see and hear and to know how you call out to us and how you provide for us. And we, like David, would be able to bring our unsettled hearts to you and find peace and hope and joy in you and you alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that surprises me most uh, about the Psalms is how inviting they are to people who are agitated or people who are frustrated with their lives. I think there's a common misconception uh, that many share, and I fall into this as well, is that in order to pray, in order to approach God, in order really to have any relationship with God, we first have to come to a place where we're settled in our hearts, we are certain in our minds, and we are clean with our hands. We are clean with our actions in order to approach God. So it's not really come as you are, it's come as you think you ought to be, come as you, and reach some standard that you think is worthy before you can uh, approach God, what under, what, whatever standard you have for yourself. But spending time in the Psalms shows us that that approach, where we first fix ourselves up and then come to God, is not the life that God intends for his people, and it's actually misguided. David is wrestling with, this, with his circumstances, and he's bringing everything, every joy, every frustration, uh, all his circumstances to God. Each and every day, each and every night, he's crying out to God. So here it's David's unsettled heart. It's his frustration that actually leads him towards God. Not away, but towards God. I think that the sad reality is that our natural tendency is to move away from God in those moments. But as we'll see, this is exactly when David invites us to draw closer because he knows that only God can offer true refuge and true contentment. So let's look first at the prayer that David models for us. He's, he starts with a prayer for an unsettled heart, prayer, prayer of an unsettled heart, really. In these early Psalms, um, really all of book one in the Psalms, which, take, which are Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 41, David is in constant trouble. He's in constant trouble. He's under constant threat, and danger is around every corner. And so you'll frequently find in these early Psalms prayers that sound more like cries of desperation or pleas for help. Almost demands. You get it in verse 1 here. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now, I don't know when the last time your prayer started with answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness, but this is how David is dealing with his unsettled heart. His first instinct isn't, okay, how do I get out of this jam? What kind of scheme do I need to hatch? What do I need to do in order to get through this? It's, his plan is rather to take whatever he has and bring it to the Lord. And right now in this psalm, all he has is a plea. All he has is a cry for help. So that's what he brings. Answer me when I call. But he's doing this because he knows that God has already delivered him in the past. That's why he continues with this prayer. You've given me relief when I was in distress. The translation here literally says, you, um, when I was in a tight place, you made it broad for me. In other words, when I was in a jam, you delivered me. And David now is remembering and recalling the ways that God had delivered him and rescued him in the past. 
which is now giving him hope for his future. See, the Psalms mirror the reality that is our lives. You get through one difficulty only to face another. You go from one tight spot, get out of that one, and now another crisis or another challenge arises. Something else comes up. This is true of your work, it could be true of your personal life, in parenting, with school, in your relationships. You're rescued from one thing only to find yourself in trouble in another way. And so because of this, this is also David's experience, because David experiences this, he's gotten really good at two things. The first thing is remembering. David knows how to remember. David knows how to recall God's past faithfulness. And he's, he's gotten good at remembering the ways in which he had been rescued so that then he can look hope forward with hope for the future in the next difficult spot that he's in. And the second thing he's gotten really good at is, well, crying out to God. Notice David is never sheepish or reluctant to approach God yet again. He's, uh, here's another jam that he's in. And so what does he do? He prays. He cries out every time. He's not concerned with bothering God again, bothering God too many times, overwhelming God with his own problems, or having too many problems, or too many requests, or having those requests too close together. That doesn't, that never, uh, that never gets into David's mind, because David knows that God never grows tired, he never grows weary, and so he cries out yet again. This is the prayer of an unsettled heart. It remembers, and then it cries out again. And this is why, despite the constant trouble and the constant jams that David finds himself in, he never loses hope. And so here he prays, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This prayer for grace is resting in the promise that there is relief and that there is blessing for those who take refuge in God. You may recall that the Psalms began, Psalm 1, right? The first word, blessed. Right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Right? The first word of the Psalms is blessedness, this promise of blessing, of grace. And then the blessing was promised again in Psalm uh, 2, verse 12, where it says, blessed are all who take refuge. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Son, the King, the Anointed One. And now here again is a promise of blessedness. Here the word is used grace, be gracious to me. In other words, Lord, may I find my blessing in the God of refuge. So David is modeling for us the prayer of an unsettled heart as he himself wrestles with his own circumstances, with his own restless and unsettled heart, given what's going on in his life and in the danger that he's facing. But then David also shows us the danger of an unsettled heart. See, David models for us the prayer in the beginning, but he also reveals the dangers of an unsettled heart. And so what we find in the psalm is not only that it's not only David whose heart is unsettled, but it's everybody else as well. You have his friends, you have uh, Israel, who's still looking to him as king, and their heart is unsettled because they're most likely living through a drought, and they're seeing all the other nations around them having abundant crops and, and having, a, having a hopeful future that they're going to be able to have a, a bountiful harvest. So now there's grain and wine abounding, and they're getting news of this, and they're wondering, well, well, what about us? But it's not just his friends, it's also the enemies. There are many, Absalom, his son, and all the army that Absalom is raising up, who doesn't want David to be king of Israel. They want another king. They want to follow after someone else, and so their hearts are surely unsettled, as they are no doubt trying to unthrone and unseat David, and ultimately to kill him. And so David wants us to see that the problem lies 
not in the fact that our hearts are unsettled, but it's what we do when we face restlessness, when we face our disappointment that can be the problem. So in verse 2, David says, O men, how long shall my honor be put to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? See, the danger is when we are unsettled, and when those uns- our unsettled hearts go unchecked, an unsettled heart can turn into a divided heart. That's verse 2. When David asks, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies, he's again taking us back to Psalm 2. This is the picture of the nations. You might recall, what, how does Psalm 2 start? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? That's what the picture of the nations. We chase after vanity. We believe lies about who God is and lies about ourselves and our hearts then become divided. See, Israel now wants another king, another God to lead them. And so they're chasing after other idols. In other words, they're chasing after vanity and lies. And this, when we grow restless, is what we do as well. We pursue relationships and prosperity and success as the ultimate pursuit, the ultimate goal. And our hearts and our allegiances become divided. Divided between the promises that God makes to us and the promises that these lesser gods and the idols we make are making to us. And David is telling them, and he's telling us, don't chase after those lies. It's simple vanity, and it amounts to nothing. Jesus will refer to this too in his ministry, Matthew chapter 6. He talks about the divided heart. This is what he says, verse, uh, chapter 6, 24 of Matthew. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, there's, there's Jesus talking about the divided heart and the danger of a divided heart. But notice also here in Psalm 4, verse 7, David also shows us that an unsettled heart leads to a divided heart, but it also then leads to an envious heart, which ultimately will turn into a bitter heart. In verse 6, he anticipates the question his opponents or even some of his friends are asking or will ask, and it's this, and it is a powerful question. Who will show us some good who will show us some good? I think that's the equivalent of, when am I going to catch a break? When will I get what I've wanted for all these years? When will I get what I've worked so hard for all these years? When will I finally get what I deserve? See, there is bitterness that is set in for Israel, a bitterness that looks out at the other nations and says, they have material blessing. They seem to have a harvest. They have abundant crops. And when are we going to get ours? And there's a modern-day equivalent for us. And I think it goes something like this. God, I follow you. I'm doing the best I can. I try to be faithful. So where is my fill in the blank? Ultimately, it's where's my better story? Where's my better story? Who will show me some good? See, there's a bitterness that creeps in and takes hold of us when an unsettled heart is left untended. And maybe you don't ever say exactly that, or perhaps you wouldn't even dream of thinking those words, but the danger of an unsettled heart is oftentimes really far more subtle. That's what makes it so dangerous. See, our hearts, our hearts are like gardens that need constant care and attention, and they need to be tended to. And if we're not weeding out the false gods and the vain desires and the lies that we're so often given to, if we're not coming to terms with the alternate stories that we tell ourselves, and if we're not being honest with ourselves that we actually ask this question, in a thousand different ways, who will show us some good? See, if we're not tending the, tending the garden of our hearts like that, 
then the unsettled, unsettled heart becomes divided, and then it becomes bitter, and then finally it grows completely cold and unresponsive to the God who makes us, to the God who calls out to us, and the God who ultimately redeems us. And so look, before we move on to uh, the response of an unsettled heart, I just want you to say that this is why community is so important and why we spend so much time talking about community groups and fellowship and, and seeking ways for us to make connections together as a church because our hearts are so unsettled and because the danger of them grow, to grow cold and bitter is so subtle that we need other people reminding us and revealing to us the ways our hearts are divided, that our hearts are envious and bitter and cold. Who will do us some good? It's a dangerous question of a bitter heart. And when we're left to ourselves, it's the question we will ask. And what we need are trusted, kind, gracious friends who, like David, lead us back to the God who fills our hearts with joy. We need friends who bring us back to Jesus, who is the one who offers the hope and promises that we are longing for, especially when we are growing bitter especially when our hearts are in a season of being completely unsettled by the circumstances around us. So we need to foster and cultivate community and work for it and take, make the time and effort to seek out and build those relationships. But in addition to finding trusted friends who we can rely on to return us, how else do we seek after and how else do we move from an unsettled heart and move them to joy and contentment and peace? Well, David shows us. First, the response of an unsettled heart, David says the first thing is that we are to be honest. The first way we respond is to be honest. David says it in verse 4, be angry and do not sin. I think David here is advising and inviting his friends and his enemies and his followers to work through their rage against God and against God's king, David, and work through their rage and anger of the announcement that has already been made again in Psalm 2, of which so much of this is building off of, that they will not overthrow, they will not overcome God. He cannot and he will not be overthrown. And neither can Yahweh's king. Saul has already tried to overthrow David. Absalom now is trying to unseat and, and kill and end David's life. But as David reminds them here in verse 3, the Lord has set apart the godly one for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So David is, go, is, is saying, go ahead. Be honest with your anger that no matter what you try and do, you cannot overthrow him. He will not be unseated as God. Yahweh will not be overthrown. And I think the same is true for us, that we also must be honest with God. That oftentimes when we're anxious, when our hearts are unsettled, when we're looking at the circumstances of our lives or those around us and we're wrestling with enviness, envious, being envy, envious, we're also angry. We're growing in anger. Angry that we are in this position in the first place. Angry that our story isn't the same as someone else's story. Angry that we're not getting the outputs in after all the work that we've done in our lives. And we have to be honest about the anger that we are facing. We're angry that we're not more in control of our lives. And we're angry that we get through one problem one day, and the next day another problem arises. And David says, go ahead, be angry. Be honest with God, but do not sin. I think we also need to realize that this is so much of the reaction of the world and our friends and our neighbors and those we live with and work with, those we share buses and subways and sidewalks and elevators with. 
There's an anger that, that everyone faces that we ought to be able to, at least in part, relate to. It's an unmentioned and oftentimes deep-seated anger that God cannot be overthrown. No matter how hard the world tries, no matter, how, no matter the advancements that humanity makes, no matter what we do, no matter what laws are passed, who is in office, what agendas are put forth, no matter what our culture decides is flourishing or good for us, we cannot overthrow this God. It goes back to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? But we take this as good news because the very one who we seek to overthrow when our hearts are unsettled is actually the one who loves us. He's actually the one who calls us by name. He's actually the one who has created us and he's the one who's going to rescue us and he's the one who's actually going to give us the better story that we are longing for and hoping for and always seeking after. So we take great joy and delight that this God, despite our best efforts and despite the best efforts of the world, is not going to be overthrown. But David is saying to everyone, go ahead, be angry. But he's also saying there's a limit to your anger. It cannot go on. At some point, after you're honest, you're also called to repent. We're all called to repentance. The only right, spot, the only right response is repentance. And that's the second part of verse 4, when David says, ponder in your own hearts and on your own beds and be silent. That's a picture of, of one who's been in rebellion and then realizes their error and begins to think through their way of repentance and submission to God. And so David says, go ahead, work through your anger, work through your rage, and then repent, and then put your trust in the Lord. And look, if you're here and you're trying to figure out Christianity, or trying to figure out the Christian faith, or your friend or your parents uh, dragged you here and you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, the only thing I can tell you is to ask someone who's been a Christian for a while, ask them about this dynamic. Ask them for an example in their own life, where they finally come to a place where they realize that not only can they not unseat God, but finally in submission to his power and in belief and trust in his goodness and in his loving kindness, they no longer want to. They no longer want to unseat God from his throne. I know there are many of you here who have stories that reflect Psalm 4, 4, where having pondered in your hearts and on your beds in silence, you come to this beautiful, glorious realization that God will not be overthrown. And that is the best news that there could ever be. That's a Psalm 4, 4 moment. And I think we all need Psalm 4, 4 moments. I think we actually need a lot of them often, throughout our, throughout our weeks and in our lives. Those times in our lives where, having realized where our unsettled hearts have led us, we return in repentance to the one who actually saves us. But it's not only honesty that David invites us to, it's not only repentance that we are called to, we're also called to delight in the God who is the giver of joy. See, again, what I want you to see is how the Psalms give us categories and language for our anger, for our disappointments, and then help us work through our unsettled hearts. They don't just leave it there. We're not called just to leave in, in, in a place of anger. That's why being schooled in the Psalms is so vitally important for us. David says in verse 6, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And then in verse 7 he says, You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine, ab wine abound. See, for David, he's moved from his own heart being unsettled to now seeking after God's face to yearning to be in God's very presence. 
This is the ironic blessing from Numbers, which is our sending word each and every Sunday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift the light of his countenance upon you, and may he give you his peace. See, David realizes that when he has the light of the Lord's face upon him, he actually has everything he needs. It's the key to a settled heart. See, David is saying, let the nations have their grain, let them have their crops and their wine, and let it abound. Let them relish in their material but fading prosperity. Let them have their physical success. But walking with God, being with him and seeking his face, far exceeds the greatest heights that are ever possible by worldly success or ambition. And so this is the promise that you are sent out with every time we gather, every Sunday, that to submit to the fact that God will never be overthrown, and then to rest in the promise that God's face shines upon you, no matter what comes your way each and every week, no matter what successes others may have in their relationships, no matter what successes they might come in their business, no matter what success their kids might have, no matter what schools they get into, no matter what the stock market is going to do this week, no matter what jam you might find yourself in this week, you can now rest because the Lord has put more joy in your heart than what any other success might offer because he promises to shine the light of his face upon you. See, David now has moved from an unsettled heart to one that is content with his life, even with his challenges, but ultimately he's delighting in the God who calls him. And this then is how we can lie down and sleep and do it with peace, as David does here in the psalm. That's how the psalm ends, because he can celebrate that God steadfastly protects and preserves his people. See, but in order to do all of this, in order to live like this, where we bring our concerns to God, where we remember all the ways that he's rescued us in the past, where we, we repent of our divided and envious and embittered hearts, we need a king who not only knows the source and cause of our unsettled hearts, but is actually going to do something about it. And see, David here in Psalm 4 is hinting at the fact that the king will have to ultimately deliver his people. Eventually, the king can't be on the run. Eventually, the king can't be under the threat of death from others. Eventually, the king can't live with an unsettled heart. We need a king who is seated and ruling and reigning and has secured for us the story that we're longing for and the hope of the world to come. And this is why this psalm can only be understood in its fullest and most beautiful form as we see David putting his trust and asking us to put our trust in the greater king to come. One who will never be on the run. One who will subdue his enemies. One who will turn the hearts and lives of his people to himself. See, this psalm is meant to lead us to Jesus. This psalm will take you right to the heart, to the settled heart of Jesus. He is our only place of true refuge, the only one who can actually bring us peace, the only one who can ultimately put joy in our hearts. And he promises to shine the light of his face upon us so that we will have life in him. And one of the great promises that we carry with us as we come to this table is that the, our unsettled hearts are being fed and nourished by the king who ultimately invites us into his presence, who promises to shine the light of his face upon us. And the proof of that is here at this table. In this bread, in this cup, we are brought into the life in the communion of God where we take refuge in him 
so that our unsettled hearts, filled with circumstances from one trouble to the next, finally find their home and their rest and their peace in the God who rescues us and renews us and calls us by name. This is the grace you're looking for. So come and bring your unsettled hearts to the one who rescues us and nourishes us and gives us rest so that we can lie down in peace and safety. Not because of what we have done, but because of what our King Jesus does and offers to us each and every day of our lives. Let's pray. We give you great thanks, O oh Jesus, that these, the psalm that we have meditated on leads us right back to you and brings us to this table. It is, your, it is the light of your face that we seek, that we so desperately need. It is your protection. It is your hand that delivers us each and every moment of our lives. So God, I pray you would help us to see that and know that. And I pray that you would give us hearts that are settled, that are not envious, that do not grow in bitterness, but are grow in, in being content with who you are and who you have called us to be. And that we would rejoice in how you are at work in our lives each and every moment of our, of our time. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.